Hi, listeners of Even the Future here. Since recording this episode, the Tennessee Three has been entirely reinstated into the Tennessee House of Representatives, but all of our points still stand. Enjoy the show. What in the fuck, Eddie Vedder? Shut the fuck up. You're a rich girl, and you're gone too far, cause you're Welcome back to another episode of Lyrics for Lunch, the show that does that dates Jewish boys and girls. No. No? <laughs> Lindsay had me title this episode J-Date because I don't know what's going on with it. So that's what we're going with. All right. Who are you? I'm Aviv Rubenstein. This is the show that does deep dives into the not-so-famous stories behind your favorite songs. I'm joined this and every week by... It's Lindsay. Hello. How it's, are you? It's Lindsay. <laughs> How are you this week, Lindsay? What's going on? This is the third time that we've tried to record this episode. Yeah. Shh. Don't tell them that. <laughs> Shh. We're professionals. I haven't told Aviv what we're talking about today yet. I'm really vamping here. Um, because it's going to be a roller coaster for a lot of reasons. Oh, no. So it's time for the big reveal. Uh, today we're talking about a Pearl Jam song. Boo! <laughs> Boo! You want to uh, Listener Sonia Missio has been trying to get us to do a Pearl Jam song forever and ever and ever and almost had me convinced. So I know a little bit about Pearl Jam, but not a lot. Well, I'm not going to teach you that much about Pearl Jam today. Delightful. <laughs> today we're going to be talking about the song Jeremy. Oh, God damn it. Okay. I so so Jeremy was one of those songs when we were in junior high school that's like, oh, it's about a this, it's about a that, blah blah blah. And so and the video was banned and all this stuff. So it's like it's perfectly made for lyrics for lunch, which is why I'm sort of groaning at it, because of course <laughs> I have to listen to Pearl Jam today. Thanks a lot. Like one or two times. Fuck. <laughs> Uh, so let's just jump right in. Jeremy is the third single off Pearl Jam's debut album, 10, which was released on August 27th, 1991 through Epic Records. And eventually it went at least 13 times platinum, depending on what country you're looking at. As you mentioned, this is one of those songs that had a lot of urban legends around its origin. And everyone's heard something. Everyone's heard something. So what have you heard? <laughs> okay. Every time you ask me this, you should like. There's a lot. You gotta. T you gotta pull. Give me the hook when I get too close. Okay. Okay. So the rumor when we so Pearl Jam, grunge band, wanted to call themselves Mookie Blaylock. Ten. The album Ten is named after Mookie Blaylock's number. Jeremy was a song that everyone thought was about a school shooting. Um, which is entirely more common these days than it was back then. But if you listen to the lyrics and also watch the video, it's pretty clear that the shooting is a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Correct. As opposed to shooting his, his students. And this was based on a true story. Oh, shit. Really? You didn't know that? No. <laughs> this is about the suicide of Jeremy Wade Dell. God damn it! I've they didn't even shocked you. <laughs> they didn't even. Yeah, I'm. 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 I am shocked currently. 
that it's a true story and the the shocking part is that it's a true story and people still like got it wrong when we were in junior high to be like oh he shot up his class like look at read the fucking newspaper dummy sure but like what teenagers have newspapers and they didn't have the internet yet i mean most didn't i didn't i didn't have it till 898 99 so um jeremy wade dell Died by suicide January 8th, 1991 at Richardson High School in Texas. He was 15 years old. Hmm. It was a Tuesday morning and he shot himself in front of a classroom full of students. So just literally the video. Yeah. So we're going to watch it right now. An affluent suburb. The Capitol building. And the news media was a lot more... 64 degrees of cloud. What? It is very relevant in America today. I hate, I hate Pearl Jam. I hate his fucking dumb face and his dumb voice and his eyeballs. Oh no. Oh, Lindsay, no. Oh, yeah, what? So there's like a shot of Jeremy with like in front of a a picture of a man's clothes and women's clothes. And he just like can't decide. Oh, I really don't like what they're saying about this. No, I also don't. And I didn't even notice that because right after that, Ed Vedder comes in with like this like evil the evil stare I eyes and it's really fucking alarming um okay so did you see like the genesis 3 6 what's with the, what's the genesis 3 6 thing and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and she also gave unto her husband with her and he did eat so this is like uh, whatever original sin. Yeah, which <laughs> why was original sin created? To keep women in, in subjugation. Correct. I I don't know what this fucking pop quiz is, but I'm gonna ace it. <laughs> um, no, but they're they're talking about Eve eating the apple the from the tree of fruit. knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and getting expelled from the Garden of Eden. But like, okay, how certain are we that they're not just Bible dipping? Have I mentioned on the show that I used to do this where I people on on campus at my college used to give out like pocket bibles and then when there was a lull in the conversation at a party I would quietly take the bible <laughs> out of my pocket open it up to a random thing read us any sentence close it slowly and nod as though I had said something very profound You did this? Yeah, it was great. It was <laughs> it was fucking so funny to just me. So, like, a bunch of drunk people? Yeah. 
And it is said that you shall circumcise your cows, but not your calves. <laughs> and then you presumably were not drunk. No. <laughs> Why would I have been drunk? Okay, I don't think they're doing that. Can't guarantee it. I can't guarantee it, but I would hope they would put a little more thought into their music video. Yeah, I don't know why they had to put original sin in there. Like, what are they trying to say? Like, is he the spawn of evil? Yeah, this is what we get for eating eating the apple from the tree of knowledge. Something like that. Bored. I'm but there's there. also they also like are definitely doing something with Jeremy's gender in this video that I like don't like that like maybe Jeremy was uh, transvestite or trans or identified as a woman or just gay because we associated those things together back then or just even curious about right. cross dressing yeah and and therefore this is why he did this so. He started out with a crazy stereo... Not crazy. He started out with a ridiculous stereotype with the lyric, which was that he, as at home drawing pictures, and he's up standing on the mountaintop under the yellow sun with his arms in a V, dead bodies in maroon blood below. Uh, So it's like, oh, this is the kids. Those were the lyrics. I mean, interpolated by me. (laughs) (laughs) Lemon yellow sun. (laughs) Uh... So, Jeremy was a distinguished artist as a child. Oh my god, I forgot again that this was a true story. But he did, like, elephants. Not himself with a bunch of dead bodies, like something from SVU. Lemon yellow elephants. (laughs) So, it seems like this video is just full of freaking cliches of, like... The bad child, like Macaulay mm-hmm. Culkin, the good son. The good son. <laughs> oh, God. There is a bit of, I mean, like, obviously the the uh, subject matter is similar, but not the same, too. I don't like Mondays, but they have a, there's a similar, like, classroom kids watching another brick in the wall sort of thing mm-hmm. vibe to the classroom that he's in and walks in front of the classroom with his shirt off. And they're all in uniforms. It's it's similar. It it, it, it Reminiscent. All right, so this is from the Dallas Morning News from 1991. A Richardson High School sophomore described as a loner Great. who had been in counseling fatally shot himself Tuesday in front of a classroom of about 30 students. Why was the classroom so big? <laughs> a, yes, class sizes are a big problem in the United States. B, <laughs> he had been in counseling. Wink, they might as well have said in parentheses, which didn't work. <laughs> This is, I think, the classic, like, well, there was rumors that he was into drugs. <laughs> he was seeing a psychologist. He was seeing a counselor. Jeremy Waydell, 16, who had transferred from a Dallas school, died instantly after firing a three fifty seven caliber magnum into his mouth about 9.45 a.m., police said. That's a big gun. It is? Yes. Also, I don't know if it's in this news story, so I'm just going to say it now in case it's not. He had, like, the wrong bullet in there. Great. And the the gun still fired, which is pretty, like, good job, Smith and Wesson, I guess. Because he had missed class, the teacher in his second period English class told Jeremy to get an attendance slip from the office. Instead, he returned with the gun, police said. He walked directly to the front of the classroom. 
Quote, Miss, I got what I really went for, he said, then placed the barrel in his mouth and fired, according to Sergeant Ray Pennington, a police spokesman. The shooting occurred before the students, or teacher, Faye Barnett, could react, said school district spokeswoman Susan Dacus Wilson. It stunned students and faculty members throughout the school at 1250 West Beltline Road. Brian Jackson, 16, said he was working the combination on his locker just outside Jeremy's English class when he heard a loud bang, like someone had just slammed a book on a desk. I thought they were doing a play or something, he said, but then I heard a scream, and a blonde girl came running out of the classroom, and she was crying. Frightened but curious, Brian looked into the classroom and saw Jeremy lying on the floor bleeding. The teacher was standing against the wall crying and shaking, Brian said. Some people were standing around her, holding her as if to keep her from falling. Another student, Howard Fellman, an 11th grader, was in government class when he heard the shot. At first, students joked about the noise, thinking that someone was playing around, he said. But then we heard a girl running down the hall and screaming, he said. It was a scream from the heart. Sergeant Pennington said Jeremy apparently had given some thought to his actions before he left a suicide note with a classmate. Investigators would not disclose its contents. With a fucking classmate? So... I found on the internet an alleged suicide note from Jeremy that had been redacted to withhold the classmate's name and his family's names, and I'm not sure of its authenticity because mm-hmm. at the end there's a postscript that's like, P.S. Ask my dad for funeral information, and it's in a completely different handwriting. Um, it was just kind of saying, thank you for always being nice to me and tell your mom or your sister, you know, it was redacted. I don't know that she's so nice and pretty and thanks for always having me over. And then P.S. Ask my dad for suicide or ask my dad for a funeral, funeral arrangement info. Um, super but, weird. Yeah. So back to the news article. Principal Jerry Bishop said Jeremy's class attendance had been sporadic. Mr. Bishop said he had met with a boy and his father to discuss the problem. Police said that Jeremy had been in counseling with his father, but they did not know the specifics. Sergeant Pennington said police did not know where the youth got the gun and had no clue why he would kill himself in a crowded classroom. The classmates who witnessed the shooting were immediately ushered to a secluded room for counseling. About 30 members of the school's district volunteers crisis team arrived to counsel students. Classes continued throughout the day. Some students were allowed to leave early, but counselors encouraged them to stay at school and discuss their feelings. That reminds me of 9-11 because they yeah. like put this announcement over the the loudspeaker and was like two kamikaze planes have intercepted the world trade center or the twin towers come down if you need counseling and we're like what like what do you mean if, no idea what the scope of the issue was we also, like imagine these little like kamikaze, kamikaze? planes like Pew! like like, <laughs> like what why do we got to be racist against the japanese on 9-11 literally that's the announcement so i think i've mentioned this on the on the show before my school didn't tell anybody and so it was just the rumor mill, and they were quietly pulling students out of class whose parents worked in New York. And I mean, you grew up in New Jersey, so you probably had a even lot more. of kids' parents worked yeah. there too. Yeah, but uh, my school was just like keep it under wraps, pull the students out individually to tell them what's going on, and then at the end of the day, they're like, "Well, so this happened," but like, there's no internet, no cell phones, and so like, we didn't fucking know what was going on. Um, but yeah, this, this clearly is reminiscent of like, uh, 
things like Columbine and, you know, I don't know, whatever. The only thing that I was aware of about, quote unquote, about school shootings, because it's technically a school shooting, at the time of Columbine was this song. Yeah, Columbine happened in 99. And so I remember, like, Jeremy being, like, referenced when we were talking about it. So I, like, associate, even though they ha- the song came out in 91, like, it, I associate those two things a little close a little closer than they probably actually should be. So you can already tell there's uh, a theme of blaming the parents. Yes. Troubled teen, truancy. I'm wondering, I mean, we, we saw a little bit of, of this with the Brenda Spencer, I Don't Like Mondays, where they were like, just like, this is some random fucked up shit. And now it seems as though the like um, the narrative that we get every time that there is a school or mass shooting, which there was one fucking yesterday and by the time that you hear this episode there will have been another one so you don't know which one i'm fucking talking about this is the narrative that happens now which is like it's a mental health issue which it obviously is but it's not a gun issue which it obviously is and like this poor guy he was so innocent what could he have done here's his picture from little league and you know i don't know it, it we're seeing the birth of this news cycle this thoughts and prayers news cycle that makes me want to set myself on fire because of the jeremy is a monster narrative that Mm. was immediately taking hold it's probably not the only reason but one of that's one of the reasons that kept his mother silent for so long okay so his parents were together no or no the parents were child of divorce Mm -hmm. it's the 90s divorced parents caused this to happen I I see it all so clearly now. And think back to the song. So daddy didn't give attention or affection and mommy wasn't there and he bit the recess lady's breast. That was in the video? No, it's in the it's the lyrics of the song. No, no. All right, we got to do we have to do a dramatic reading of the lyrics because clearly we're both missing stuff. Okay, let's read it right now. At home drawing pictures of mountaintops with him on top. Lemon, lemon yellow sun. <laughs> arms, arms raised in a V and the dead lay in pools of maroon below. Didn't fucking know that originally. Daddy didn't give attention. Oh, to the fact that mommy didn't care. King Jeremy the Wicked. Oh, ruled his world. Jeremy spoke in class today. Clearly, I remember picking on the boy seemed a harmless little fuck, but we unleashed the lion. He gnashed his teeth and bit the recess lady's breast. (laughs) How could I forget? How could I forget? How could you forget? How could I forget? And he hit me with a surprise left. My jaw left hurting, dropped wide open, just like the day. Oh, like the day I heard. Daddy didn't give affection, no. And the boy was something that mommy couldn't wear. King Jeremy the Wicked ruled his world. Does yours say couldn't? Oh, no, it wouldn't. I just misread it. And the boy was something that mommy wouldn't wear. King Jeremy the Wicked ruled his world. And then the, the bridges try to forget this, try to erase this from the blackboard, which I did not know <laughs> were the lyrics of this song. Holy fucking shit. Yeah, it's fucked up. Okay. Jeremy spoke in class today. All right, so those are the lyrics. So... 
as you might imagine, his mother, in her grief, wasn't jumping into the news spotlight. No, when, what do you say? Like, whoops, I certainly raised a kid who killed himself publicly. Poor, poor lady. All right, so she did come out in 2018. Oh, wow, that's a long time. And do an interview. So we're going to watch a little bit of that right now. The Pearl Jam song, Jeremy, might bring back memories for some, but for one mother, it's like reliving a nightmare. For the first time, she's talking about the song and, and its connection to her son's death. News 8's Cynthia Seguirre has this WFAA original. It is very relevant in America today. I hate it this fucking package. Sparked a song and a controversial music video. Yeah, where they're like cutting ago. the the stuff from the school into the video for the song. Jeremy by Pearl Jam. That day that he died did not define his life. Wanda is Jeremy's mother. He was a son, a brother, a nephew, a cousin, a grandson. He was a friend. He was talented. On January 8, 1991, her son walked into his English classroom at Richardson High School and shot himself in front of his peers. In an instant, everything changed. I was at my office work. And what was your immediate reaction? I didn't believe it. I was in shock, not my son. I was going to pick him up that afternoon at school. Even now, his mother is not sure as to the why. How did you get through the fact that it happened in front of children? I didn't think about it. I mean, you literally go into a fog. That's me, always right next to my friend Eric. Brittany King was Jeremy's classmate. This was a big wake-up call, like, you know what? Life is not all hunky-dory all the time. Real things, tragedies happen. She was 16, and he was almost 16 in January of 1991. It made me grow up pretty quick overnight, literally overnight. Brittany remembers it like it was yesterday. Shock and fear um, went into my mind. Uh, all the students, we ran to the back of the room and kind of huddled together. Then, Brittany made a split-second decision that will forever haunt her. Should I look? I remember oh, thinking geez. that. Should I look? Don't look. And I did. I looked. I just out of just, I don't know why. I don't know why I looked, but I did. And um, I'll never forget. I will never forget it. We talked about how there was no internet at the time. Yes. I think that if there had been, there would be the information that would be out there about this person and this tragedy would be a lot more reliable. Mm -hmm. So some of the information that I've gathered comes from two tribute sites from his classmates that they made. I mean, one I had to like use Wayback Machine to get it. Sure. Um, they're lo-fi. Yeah, I mean, I think especially with the like the stuff that is not the main narrative which is like oh this kid was so fucked up and this is why he did this is because he fucking doesn't have parents or whatever it is right like like th at least the internet 
these days you're able to give a voice to like a, an oppositional narrative of the family that could be like, nope, like that's not what this is. You're printing the, you know, you're printing the legend and she would have been able to, with the help of the internet, like squash those rumors at the time or close to the time, you know? Right. So a classmate did attempt to set the record straight and there's a website called jeremywadedell.com and there's a ton of info there gathered um, and stories about his early life up until his death. That website, you know, touches on that for the Dell family. The popularity of the song, Jeremy, became a nightmare. And that one of the goals of the memorial website is to add a human touch and more depth to Jeremy's story and give people the knowledge of what he was really like. I also want to make a distinction between humanizing mass shooters who, you know, walk into a bank because they got fired and kill a bunch of innocent people, like... Jeremy took his own life with a gun and that is really traumatizing and traumatized all of his classmates and you know like that fucking sucks and he shouldn't have done that but this is a troubled kid who thought that his only way or may have thought his only way out was to end his life and didn't through violence hurt anybody else or as far as we know maybe not not physically yeah yeah that's what I mean through like physical violence yeah it's complicated, right? It is complicated. Because, like, cause like, he did have a profound effect on these classmates. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm, like, mad at him for that. But, like, it seems like the things that were going on inside of him were far worse. Right. And he was a child and he needed he help and he shouldn't have had a gun. All, the, all things access. extremely true. We're going to look a bit at the human side of this person. And I don't think we'll ever really know what his full story is, but with the help from some classmates who have come forward with testimonials, we can read a little and take what what we want from that. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So we'll be looking at the news media versus classmates. According to staff writers at the Dallas Morning News, Lisa Moore, 16, said she knew Jeremy from the in-school suspension program. He and I would pass notes back and forth, and he would talk about life and stuff. She said, she said Jeremy wanted to discuss the boy she was dating and also mentioned that he was having trouble with one of his teachers. He signed all of his notes right back, but on Monday he wrote later days. Later days, which became a catchphrase in the show Recess, which seems deeply fucked up now. That happened. Uh, I didn't know what to make of it, she said, but I never thought this would happen. However, Sean Forrester, 17, remembered Jeremy as friendly with no outright signs of turmoil. He never looked like he had anything wrong with him. He always made a joke over everything, Sean said. Jeremy was a son of Joseph Ardell of Richardson, with whom he lived, and Wanda Crane. The couple divorced in 1979, according to Dallas County Whoa, Court Records. Whoa, he was very young. Yeah. Tuesday's shooting was the first known teen suicide in a Richardson school. It was the first by a Richardson student since 1998. That can't be right. That doesn't make sense. Must 1988. Be it is 88. But Tuesday's shooting was the first known teen suicide in a Richardson school. It was the first by a Richardson student since... Oh, because the Richardson student in 1988 didn't 
students. Do it in the school. school. Yeah. Okay. When student suicides prompted the creation of the crisis intervention program in May that year. Three Richardson students. Now I'm reading this from the newspaper, but I, I have learned that you don't say committed by committed suicide. You say died by suicide. Yeah. Com- right. But this says three Richardson students committed suicide during the first half of 1988. They included a sixth grader and two sophomores at JJ Pierce high school. One of the sophomores hanged himself from a tree behind Mohawk Elementary during a weekend. In 1985, a 17-year-old Arlington student shot himself in front of four fellow students in the drama classroom at Arlington High. Earlier, an outbreak of teen suicides in Plano, where eight youths killed themselves in 1983 and 1984, helped focus national attention on the plight of suicidal teenagers. Students and counselors agreed that the shock of Jeremy's public demise would have a lingering effect on the Richardson students, particularly the witnesses. They are going to go through a ton of sadness, anxiety, and fear, said Cheryl Pender, a counselor with Willow Park Hospital in Plano and former director of the Suicide and Crisis Center in Dallas. It's not like we just discovered PTSD in 1991. What the fuck are you guys talking about? Oh, wow. Soldiers who see people die in war are kind of fucked up afterwards. I'm sure it doesn't have the same effect on children. <laughs> the fuck is wrong with you people? Yeah. What I do think is interesting is that there was, there seemed to be a string of local suicides, teen suicides in this area at this time. That is interesting. I mean, I feel like much the way that mass shootings are now where you know everyone it's like it feels kind of like a foregone conclusion a ticking clock that it'll happen at your school or something that to me was like teen suicide in the 90s and early 2000s i feel like every single person i know has a story about the kid that died by suicide in their high school mine's name is josh brubaker but do they know like five yeah, five or eight is like that's that's a that's a big that's not that's a pattern. Agree. So I thought I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um and it got me thinking about virgin suicides. Mm-hmm. And 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 the idea of like a suicide pact, right? That these kids in in Arlington may have been doing it together, which it does not ele- it like kind of leads this horse to water to be like, hey, this happened. Eight kids died by suicide. In this in this period, draw your own conclusions. But if there was an actual suicide pact, they would have said that. Like, why why bury the lead? Because they don't want other teens to do suicide pacts. Maybe. So, a classmate of Jeremy's took issue with this newspaper reporting. And this classmate said, Lisa Moore states on Monday Jeremy wrote a note to her saying later days. Jeremy took his life on Tuesday. He didn't miss class the day before. He was assigned to the in-school suspension program and was supposed to be there when he appeared in Faye Barnett's classroom. And Faye knew he was supposed to be in the in-school suspension, parentheses, ISS, cave. So Faye knew he was supposed to be in the ISS cave and should not be there in her room that day. She was telling him he needed a note to even be in her classroom at all. Right, which is when he left. Yeah. I say cave because if you know how the RISD... Richardson Inter-something school district, yeah. 
or disciplinarian, I don't know, handled ISSS students back then, they were put in a room, 10 people maximum, and it was about the equivalent of a large storage room or closet. No talking, no resting your head on the desk. You had to be constantly occupied. It was monotonous. I spent several weeks total in ISS myself over several incidents, results of serious class clown effort on my part. And it was very disturbing. Someone who has ADD would go nuts because you're not allowed to talk. It's sort of what it would be like in solitary confinement in a sense. I mention all of this because Jeremy was put in ISS shortly after transferring to RHS mid-year after his locker was searched and had been in ISS for over approximately a month when he walked into Faye Barnett's classroom. Anyhow, this and a lot of information will follow... I appreciate this person coming forward. It helps add a human dimension to Jeremy's story beyond a song and a newspaper article. And so, I mean, I think uh, this might be where we're going with this episode, but I think that this is like a really important thing to note is that like the school system fails kids who are not traditionally good at like book learning or academic, you know, traditional academic learning. And the the students that need more attention and more help and more time for their homework are then put in a room forced to stare at a wall and we wonder why they like a don't trust the system and b wind up like not prepared to deal with like the rest the the rest of the world right because we we cordon them off yeah it's the same thing with prison jail yes and this is kids this is kids. And, and when every day as a kid, like, changes your brain chemistry in such a significant way. Um, the, I've just recently rewatched Freaks and Geeks, which is a great show. Great show. And there's an episode where Lindsay Weir, who is a, like, straight-A student, gets a detention for the first time, goes to detention and tries to tries to do her homework in detention. And the, the, the whatever, the coach is like, you can't do that here. You just have to, like sit here and exist she's like why the fuck would i do that <laughs> horrid horrid yeah i remember so much bullshit from the public school system and i'm sure it was worse in private school and i'm sure it was worse 10 years before we were in this position right because this we're about 10 years younger than jeremy mm-hmm. would have been right and this is texas which hate to bring and geography into it but you can't not yeah, especially with the presence of guns, right? So yeah. it feels like I hate to use the term perfect storm, but it's like bad education system, bad, bad, particularly bad spot in the education system, earlier times, access to guns, bad news, news reporting. It's all, it's all here. We got it all. This story has it all. Yeah. Um, this is another testimonial from someone who is at Richardson High at the time, Doug. Doug writes, I was in the classroom the day Jeremy killed himself. I was in the first chair of the second row, so I was close to him when it happened. Jeremy was actually standing in front of a bookshelf that was located next to the blackboard. After he killed himself, he was slumped up against that bookshelf with his eyes open, looking very serene and peaceful. I think there may have been someone coming in the classroom after him, but there was no one directly behind him. That year, I was Mrs. Barnett's student aide. So during fifth period, I was tasked with grading her quizzes, tests, and doing other clerical work for her. I bring this up because one week before the suicide, I was grading vocabulary tests and came across Jeremy's. He hadn't answered most of the questions on the test and had written a note to Mrs. Barnett apologizing for not performing well on the quiz. 
After his death, I dwelled on that note. I thought that, although I never knew him personally, the note really illustrated the kind of heart that Jeremy must have had. I still believe to this day that our second period English class was a place that he felt comfortable and hence why he chose to end his life there. Fuck. I mean, I think some of this might be like retro retroactively like casting yourself as a little bit more important in the story than you actually are. Sure. But the fact that that he that the education system was failing him made him guilty feel guilty about it like it can't be discounted that this this seems like this kid had nowhere that he felt safe not even mrs barnett's second period english class right and like i said we'll never know so we just have to kind of yeah hear what people have to say and and i think there were some testimonials that i've put in and then took out cuz i was like it just it might be reliable, but it didn't seem reliable because yeah. everyone wants to, not everyone, but a lot of people like to interject themselves into tragedies. They cast themselves as the as the main character in their narrative, which is like clearly you are the main character. You're, you know, the only one seeing through your eyeballs. But um, there's like some something about Columbine or some other mass shooting where like people who were interviewed are like put themselves closer to the what ha- what actually happened than they actually were and so it's just like a hu- it's human nature to do that yeah like that girl like becky or whatever yeah who was like the say you i love god right that girl yeah say you hate god i love god like that never fucking happened okay so here's another testimonial or tribute from shay b it's been almost 15 years since my buddy jeremy took his own life i still think of him I have awesome pictures of Jeremy and I. I played soccer with him from the time we were 5 to 11 years old. We were friends at Gaston Middle School and Brian Adams High. That's before he went to Richardson. Brian Adams High? I know. It opened the summer of 69. Shut up. If you want to really know about who Jeremy was, he was a harmless yet lost teenage kid that could have done anything he desired if it wasn't for his home life and pressure of being cool in a new school. Jeremy is just a small story, but he was an unbelievably caring and smart person. Respectably, Shay Byers, Brian Adams, class of 93. What is this home life that we're talking about? So unclear. Um, His dad had recently remarried, and the rumor is that's where he got the gun from his stepmom's night table. Night table? That gun is big. And he had moved in with his dad, and that was why... He you changed schools. Changed schools, and we don't know why. Um, he had. There's also testimonial that he had been institutionalized. Yikes. Um, that sounds like rumor, but still, yikes. Because mm-hmm. you know what? You know what's definitely going to help a 15 year old kid who has like clear learning issues is a mental institution in Texas in in the 90s. A hundred percent. So here's Dory, Dory Davis Hill. I attended school with Jeremy in ninth grade at Richardson Junior High and then in 10th grade at RHS. I was in biology class across the hall from Jeremy's English class the day he took his life. We heard a loud bang, sounded like a stack of textbooks hitting the ground, but then the screaming started, so we thought it was a fight in the halls and ran out to see. I saw my other friend, Eris, at the doorway of Jeremy's class, but could only see someone's legs on the ground. My teacher realized something was horribly wrong and rushed us back in the classroom where we were held for the next two hours. Smart. Best. (laughs) The one teacher that did the right thing. Good job. (laughs) 
one of my best friends was in class with me and when we got word from the office that a student had taken their life we both knew it had to be jeremy my teacher allowed us to go down to the office where we called our parents too distraught to stay at school my mom came and picked me up she had no idea of what had just happened that we would forever be changed as we walked out of the front door of the school a reporter must have taken a photo of me with my head down crying while my mom tried to console me little did i know the photo would be across the front page of the Dallas newspaper Fuck. the next morning. You guys, it's about ethics and journalism. And children. And children. Fuck. I attended his funeral and was floored at the amount of people and teens that came, some of them the same ones who wouldn't give him the time of day, who mocked him for being someone who did weird stuff in class for attention. Why now? Why come support now? I will admit the majority of my friends consisted of the cheerleaders, drill team, the popular crowd, but something in Jeremy caught me when I sat next to him in math on his first day of junior high. He would confide in me about the special girl in his life. His eyes and face would light up when talking about her. But things got worse for him during that summer before high school. I didn't talk much about my connection to him or the song, which means I don't share that he stopped me on the way to class that morning and had a huge smile on his face and hugged me. The only time I've seen him like that, and I was too much in a rush to get to my biology class to really stop and talk. But what I don't do is say if only, because during my 11th grade year, I attempted suicide three times with the third what? time- having me in renal failure before my mom found me okay so now this goes on like a very long tangent of of my you making this about myself yes again. but like and still it's like why this is a fucking epidemic it's like oh by the way you know he he did it one he you know committed suicide or died by suicide i tried three times and i don't know i'm fine i guess like what the fuck is wrong with these gen xer fucking I think it it's the lead in the water, man. Maybe. Also, there's an inconsistency here because she says that it was she met him in junior high, but that was ninth grade. So maybe like the stories are true that he had transferred to Richardson and maybe it was like Richardson Junior High and Richardson High School and they were like one. Yeah, yeah, that happens. Period. Like, like there would be two buildings that you, basically you're on the same campus. My junior high school was seventh, eighth, ninth as well, and it was like very similar to to how this is seems to be laid out. Okay. Um. um oh, fuck, dude. <laughs> so. Dory Davis isn't the only person who mentioned that Jeremy hugged her that day and that thought it was weird. An alleged employee at the time of Jeremy's death gave their testimony on one of the tribute sites. An, an employee at the school? Uh, yeah. Okay. And they wrote, the only reason I'm saying alleged is because there was no way for me to really corroborate this. Yeah, yeah. It can just turn into this weird echo chamber. And clearly people are kind of manipulating the facts to put themselves at the center of it no matter what. Right. Um, so this person says, on the actual day Jeremy took his life, he went to the office and got a pass to get back into school. He immediately went out to the commons area and made a phone call. I saw Jeremy on the phone after he got the pass. He should have been in in-school suspension. He was supposed to stay in ISS for the rest of the semester for threats or the contents of his locker or both. I went over to him and I said, Jeremy, you have been doing really well. Let's not start the year off wrong. Head up to ISS and get in class. He was so sweet. He was really, really happy for some reason. I felt like I could approach him that day, although there were days when I didn't feel like I could approach him. 
Jeremy reached up and hugged me, which was very unusual. I thought I would talk to him later, if I could. I meant to talk to the ISSS supervisors and let them know Jeremy had hugged me. I went on to the teacher's lounge and left Jeremy. He went to ISS and gave a note to Lisa. A little while later, a student named Eris came into the office with an emergency pass. He was not in her room, but was passing by and heard the gunshot. He looked into the room, and Mrs. Barnett was frozen. The student ran to the desk, got the emergency pass, lined up the students and Mrs. Barnett, and took them to the auditorium. He took control of the situation and brought the emergency pass to the office of the principal. I have several fucking questions. Okay. Please. Someone in your 10th grade English class excuse my crassness blows their fucking brains out in front of you and you're like i gotta run to the principal and get a hall pass right i need an emergency Uh, pass but but i i so i don't necessarily think that this is untrue but i think that like this is what we do to kids right also, he was passing by, and then he must have like looked. If this story it's is just, true, he yeah, yeah, so, in, so saw could have been like just like oh my fucking god, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, this is what we do to kids: is like we we turn them into drones that are just like, oh my god, there was a a suicide in my classroom. Let me go get a fucking hall pass. Unbelievable! It's unbelievable. I don't but know it's if believable. I, believe it. <laughs> I, I I think I might believe it. Holy shit! So, yeah, I mean, I don't know the legitimacy of those stories, but I did want to share them because I didn't want us to just hear from the news media the the narrative of, like, troubled teen with divorced parents. Yeah, and and there's, like, an implication, but not, it's not explicit that, like, the the school was was not looking out for him in in a way that was so significant that that's what, you know, led to this. Okay. I'm going to read quickly from a second news article from January 9th, 1991. Crisis team responds. Crisis teams respond quickly to teen suicide. Okay. This is the Dallas Morning News again. I'm afraid. A new peer counseling group (laughs) at Richardson High School went to the aid of classmates Tuesday when a student killed himself during an English class. It was the first big challenge for the 20 member group, which was specially trained last spring to help fellow students handle crisis situations. The team was one of several counseling groups that began work within minutes after school district administrators learned of the suicide. Danny Glick, vice president of the peer counseling group, was among those who went to the classroom after sophomore Jeremy Waydell shot himself. To his surprise, the room was not filled with hysteria. It was catatonic. No emotion, he said. Yep. (laughs) Oh, to his surprise, everyone was like shaking the fuck up. Shell-shocked. How could they be? Uh, Okay, so Danny, 17, talked with one boy who had seen the shooting from the front row of the classroom. He couldn't tell me how he felt, he said. He just kept telling me in detail what happened over and over. Danny said some of the students he talked with knew that Jeremy knew that Jeremy had problems and expressed regret that they had not approached him. What the fuck podunk crisis crisis management team is this? They're like, oh, he couldn't fully express his emotions in the moment, but he did kept, keep saying, I was in the front row as this kid shot himself. I wonder why that is. This is truly bizarre, isn't it? It's so weird that they like don't have the language to just talk about like sim- like shock. Right. They truly don't even have seem to have like the emotional intelligence of what was going on. Fucking 
fucking boomers, man. <laughs> Everyone I talked to said the ultimate same thing. They wish they could have said something to him before he did it. Pat Olney, director of a separate crisis intervention team, said peer counseling is a valuable tool because students usually talk more freely with other students. The district's intervention team, which was formed just two years ago in the aftermath of other student suicides, includes psychologists, counselors, principals, the superintendent, and other administrators. Also on the scene Tuesday was a campus-based intervention team of administrators. The first thing we have to do is help the students acknowledge their feelings about what they just experienced, Miss Olney said. This this reminds me of the first season of, of Mindhunter on Netflix where they're like trying to get into the, the pattern of, of serial killers and there's like a psychologist in the corner being like, I wonder if there's a psychological component to this. And they're like, shut the fuck up, nerd. No one asked you. No one asked you. Like, <laughs> like the psychologists are like, hey, like maybe we're, maybe this is kind of a fucked up thing we should deal with. And everyone's like, no, no. Couldn't possibly be. Okay. Back to Mrs. Olney. Adolescents are more fragile and it's often more difficult for them to deal with something like this, she said. Their feelings range from fear and terror and sorrow to anger that it happened and anger that it happened at school. Shortly after Tuesday's shooting, she said the crisis teams met as a group with the students and teachers who witnessed the shooting and offered individual counseling. The team notified the students' parents and wrote a note to each of the school's teachers with information about the incident. Another memo was sent to each classroom to be read to the students. Teen oh, suicides good. are increasing across the country, Ms. Olney said. Many school districts have formed similar intervention teams. Oh, good. A memo. In Richardson, a community of parents, students, board members, medical professionals, and community leaders began work in 1988 to form the district's crisis team following at least three student suicides. The Plano School District also set up intervention programs when seven teenagers killed themselves during the 83-84 school year. Jesus fucking Christ. It's also it's also like I I keep dunking on like how bad they are at this, but at least they're doing something. Now we just don't do we anything. We do nothing. We do zero things. Totally. So I want to ask you, why did Pearl Jam write this song? Was it to raise awareness about teen suicide? No, fucking of course not. <laughs> Um, because, and, and I think that they kind of lived within the margins, the lyrics of this song aren't, they don't speak of any violence that Jeremy does except for hitting the singer of the song with a haymaker, right? And biting the recess lady's breasts, which is very weird. But by the end of the song, like, there's no indication that he has hurt himself or anyone else. I think it's like edgelord shit. I think they're just like, we're a cool grunge band. We're going to write about like dark fucked up shit, like creepy kids. And, and like, aren't, aren't we clever? Yeah. Yeah. So not unlike the Boomtown Rats, which you already mentioned that I don't like Mondays. Check out our, I don't like Mondays episode. Like Boomtown Rats, Better said he saw a paragraph about the suicide in the newspaper. So this is excerpt from a Billboard interview. Billboard. To Vetter. Ed Vetter. Jeremy, is this childhood experience of yours? Question mark. I know kids can be really taunting, or is it something completely different? Vetter. Well, I think it's... That was a newspaper article. And then when I went to write about it, I thought of actually getting a hold of what the actual person it was written about. Oh, I thought about getting a hold of, of this person? But then I thought that would be intruding. I don't know if he was like on drugs when they did this interview or if they just sucked at editing because 
It's confirmed multiple times by Vetter that it's about Jeremy Waydell. Por In this no interview, he's like talking, like maybe he means he's he would want to talk to the parents. Yeah, yeah. And and also the, the interviewer is like, so you lived this? And he's like, fucking what? No. Yeah. <laughs> but he does cast himself as one of the kids. So maybe it's like you lived something like this or I don't know. Yeah. So we will get there. Um, oh, good. In this same quote. Um, I totally related because I had a very similar experience with a kid who I grew up with. I didn't really grow up with. I just had a couple of instances with him and he ended up to be a, you know, kind of a, I mean, he freaked out. His world blew up. He kind of freaked out and brought a gun into class one day. It was geography class and shot up a chuckles 1,000 gallon fish tank or something. I was in the hallway and I remember hearing it. Billboard. That was no, in high school? No, 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 no. No. I knew a kid. I didn't really know him. I ran into him. He was in my class, but I was in the hallway from a different class, but it was geography. He brought a gun. He was, I don't know, really, I don't know. He whacked, got whacked out, and then he shot up a fish tank. And but this is but this is what we're what this is like a, a perfect example of what we were saying earlier of like casting yourself as the as the the lead character in this like thing that's very much not about you mm-hmm. and like I don't know ruining some poor woman's life over it it seems yeah not thinking about the repercussions being completely self absorbed zero empathy zero empathy and also yeah. It seems like he is a little fucked up. He he does seem fucked. Billboard. That was in high school? Vetter. That was in junior high, seventh grade. And I had gotten in a fight with this kid like a year earlier. You didn't know him, but I didn't know him. We got in a fight. <laughs> I had an incident. And then a year later, because of that incident, he tried to shoot me by being in a different class and shooting up a fish tank because I once told him that I like fish. <laughs> and if anyone shoots up a fish tank, I will take it personally and eventually write a, a 12 times platinum song about it, but not about him, about a different kid who didn't shoot up a fish tank. Did I mention I like fish? Did I mention I'm on drugs? <laughs> so Billboard says, so that fish tank could have been you. Vetter. And this happens all the time. A kid, just a week ago, I heard about another one, held his classmates hostage, ordered the teacher out, and held his classmates hostage. Finally, one of the kids, while he was lighting a cigarette or something, grabbed the gun away from him, and the kid wanted him, he said, just kill me, just kill me, because I don't want to deal with what the repercussions of this are. He was unhappy. He wanted to die anyway, but that kid's still alive. He probably is more tormented than ever, but basically, you talk about the parents and combining threads through this album, and I think there's many, but as far as parenting, like, Why Go and Jeremy those two songs yeah it's weird they're certainly not about the same person they're certainly different stories but the combining thread would be lack of parental attention can you send me can you send me the text of this quote and i'm gonna do something that's gonna really upset you <laughs> yeah right now because mm-hmm. as soon as you started reading this i was like oh i know who this person is and this happens like all the time. A kid just a week ago, I heard about another one. He and his classmates, terrible hostages, order to teach. Like this guy is Donald Trump. He's like, people are telling me about these school shootings. I don't know. He's probably fine. Right. 
What in the fuck, Eddie Vedder? Shut the fuck up. Are you putting this into like a Trump AI thing? No, no, that was me. That was I just did it. I, just oh, did my, I thought my there tr- was something on the internet where you put it in and then it like comes you up can. and it's like like a like a better <laughs> like a better impression than mine. Yeah, there is there definitely is a Trump AI. I'm not gonna fuck around with it though. <laughs> you just have to deal with my impression. Well, that was pretty good. I'm not Thank gonna you. lie. Horrible. Okay, so this this person that Edder is trumping about you is better. someone named Brian. Edder. Not Edder. <laughs> what did Edder I call Edder. Ed Vedder. Ed Vedder. What are you doing? <laughs> Edward Vedward. It's apparently someone named Brian. Okay. So let's listen to him talking about it in this clip. I wrote, I mean, I literally wrote the song that night, I think. And, and I don't know that much I actually even thought about. Um, I'm really divulging a lot here, and I, and, 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 and I should explain it. Um, the fact that I thought of even calling up and finding out more. Like, I wonder why that happened. I wonder why. I he thought did about it. doing and, research. And, and it seemed like Richardson sounded to me like a decent suburb, um, middle, if not upper class. And um, the fact is, I, I didn't want to. Um, I thought that was intruding completely. And so. Um, if they were I lower class, it would have been fine. And, um, I, this, I fucking hate this guy. In San Diego, California, that, that did the same thing just about. He didn't take his life, but ended up shooting up an oceanography room. I remember being in the halls and hearing it. Um, and I had actually had altercations with this kid in the past. I was kind of a rebellious fifth grader. And I think we got in fights and stuff. So I think we got in um, fights. It's a bit about this kid named Jeremy, and, and it's also a bit about a kid named Brian that I knew. And, um, I don't know, the song, I don't know, I think it says a lot, I think it goes somewhere, and a lot of people interpret it different ways, and I really, it's just been recently that I've been, like I said, I've been talking about the the true meaning behind it, and I hope um, no one's offended, and, and it's all, believe me, I think of, I think of Jeremy when I sing it. Do you? All right, great. That so, great. okay, he says he hopes no one's offended, but this video is from a year ago? Like I don't know when the I don't know when this interview's from, but like, when what is he saying? I hope that no one's offended. Like you've are the 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 die has been cast, my friend. People are offended. Yeah, you Lives done did have it. Been ruined. <laughs> okay, so we talked about the music video when we watched it, but now I'm going to tell you a little bit more. Yes, please, because. The like as I, as I mentioned, there's like not a gun doesn't appear in the lyrics of the song. The, all of the like school shootingy stuff, even the even the suicide stuff, is all from the video. The video, the classroom scenes were shot at Bayonne High School in New Jersey. Shout out! Bada bing! <laughs> it won four MTV Video Music Awards, including Video of the Year, because of course it did. Because of course it did. Because it's so deep. <laughs> He can't choose between a man's clothes and a woman's clothes. Deep. Just can't do it. Mommy wouldn't wear her kid. That doesn't make sense. I've never yeah. thought that that made sense. Oh, I don't think it does either. So Trevor Wilson played Jeremy. Okay. In the music video. Trevor Wilson died in a drowning accident at age 36. The fuck? Uh, in 2016. So he was only about... Five years older than than we are. Trevor. 
Trevor. So he was only about 10 in the music video. He was young, and people who worked with him said they were blown away by his audition tape, and they really thought he was going to become a star. But after the video, he was kind of haunted by the fame because this video became huge, and he like recused himself from the spotlight. And then died in a drowning accident? Yeah. Uh, From Billboard. Trevor Wilson was the most iconic face of grunge who wasn't actually in a band. Not even Spencer Eldon, the naked baby. Oh, I've uh, that fucking guy. The naked baby on the cover of Nirvana's Nevermind was an immediately recognizable was as immediately recognizable a stand-in for the angst and alienation of an entire generation as Wilson became with his first and only starring role as a troubled teen in Pearl Jam's unforgettable 1992 video for Jeremy. The Mark Pellington-directed clip became a pillar of MTV's 90s alt-rock canon and helped the band's debut album, 10, go 13 times platinum. Jesus fucking Christ. The last time most music fans of the era likely saw him was with Pearl Jam at the MTV Video Music Awards, after which the gawky teen melted back into the background, focusing on his love of classic literature and a drive to work on development projects overseas for the United Nations. And then, far from the fake glamour of Beverly Hills, years removed from his 5 minute and 33 second long moment in the spotlight wilson tragically drowned while swimming alone during a vacation in puerto rico last august almost 24 years to the day after the jeremy video dropped so mark pellington the the music video director directed a bunch of other music videos including cage the elephant lincoln park demi lovato kid rock etc etc but he also directed the movie the mothman prophecies no yes Richard Gere, yeah, <laughs> and Arlington Road with uh with Tim Robbins. I don't think I saw that one. It's but weird. You can it's bet d- your butt I saw Mothman prophecies. Of course he did. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, this is so. But he's like a huge music video director. He directed Alice in Chains, Rooster, In Excess, YouTube, a bunch of videos for U two and Bon Jovi. Like he he was a real real fucking guy. He directed Do You Realize for the Flame Lips. Do you realize? Best of You by Foo Fighters. So he's, he's, uh, even before this was, was a big, uh, that's a big get for them. Right. This is their first album. Yeah. All right. Flash forward to June 2020. Pearl Jam shared the uncensored version of the video, of the video, Jeremy. To help spread gun violence awareness oh, Jesus for Christ. National Wear Orange Day. So this is something I mentioned while we were watching the video. I didn't remember Jeremy putting the gun in his mouth. So what is the original video like? The original version it is really what we just watched with the gun, right? Right. But MTV refused to air it and asked Mark Pellington to edit it out. Just the gun. Pellington, quote. It was not an easy edit to change, as I didn't have any footage from over the shoulder or reverse or even a close-up of the hand or the gun to add mystery or implication, Pellington told Variety. All we had was a front master, so we tried blowing the image up, defocusing, and editing it a little earlier. There were three permutations before we got to the final one, and I'm still not really sure who at MTV made the decision not to air their original. It's a mystery. It's like doing an autopsy of censorship 28 years later. 
The finished product is the version of the video we've all come to associate with Jeremy, which peaks with a close-up of his face just before he pulls the trigger. They like fra- they like frame around it, so you it seems sounds like you only see a b- bit of the barrel and like kind of a, just his eyes and nose. Unfortunately, the edit caused confusion as it made people think he might have shot someone in the class and not himself. To Pellington, the misunderstanding was a real bummer. I don't think any filmmaker who has ever been censored or edited isn't grateful when their original version gets out there. But it's great that a new generation of people can now see, hear, and experience Jeremy in an unfiltered way because the message is still very powerful. Yeah, that must be really frustrating where like they censor and it like now people don't even understand what's going on. Right. I can't seem to find the the censored version even. Yeah, so so as I remember it, you I think you may just see like a close up of his face. Um but yeah, it is very very unclear what he does and I originally thought the kids frozen in fear covered in blood was like an artistic rendering of them getting shot, but you know, it it is also them being covered in Jeremy's blood. They have Jeremy's blood on their hands, of course. So, as you probably heard, last year, gun violence surpassed car accidents. Laugh through the tears. Laugh right through the tears. (laughs) Last year, gun violence surpassed car accidents as the number one killer of of people under age. Yeah, people under the age of 18. According to every town, every year, 19,000 children and teens are shot and killed or wounded, and approximately 3 million are exposed to gun violence. And NPR reports that, according to a study done during the pandemic, black children were 100 times more likely to be shot than white. Oh, it's why don't we see that in the news, though? That's so weird. That's so weird, isn't it? That's so weird. There has to be a completely innocent explanation for that. That doesn't involve 400 years of institutionalized racism. Absolutely. Right? Right, guys? As of March 29th, 74 people have been killed or injured by guns at American schools this year. Okay, guys? It's been three months. Just in schools. And according to NPR, the government currently does not track the specifics of shooting that occur in schools. So we don't even have the info. So this is because of money coming from the NRA literally just paying people to not do their jobs. Correct. So let's run through real rapid fire. Let's run through some of the uh, gun apologists reasonings that these school shootings are happening. It is a mental health issue. You're right. It is a mental health issue. Do we think that people in Europe don't have mental health issues? Why don't they shoot up their schools at the same rate as we do? They don't have guns. It's the video games. You're right. Violent video games exist, but violent video games also exist in Europe and Australia and Asia. Why don't people shoot up their schools in Europe and Australia and Asia at the same rate? Guns. 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 Oh, but it was the, they're bullied. They're, they, it's because the kids were bullied, even though it is provably false that the, the kids at Columbine were bullied, and that's why they became the trench coat mafia. And so they were bullied, and that's why they grabbed the guns. So we really have to do some some real hard anti-bullying work, and that's what will stop the violence. Do we think kids in Europe and Asia and Australia and Africa are also bullied? Why, yes, they are. Why don't they shoot up their schools at the same rate? It's the guns. fucking guns, stupid. So in 2022, there were more school shootings than in any year since 1999. 
according to a tracker by the Washington Post. By this tracker's measure, the total for 2022 was 46, but that is only during school hours. If the parameters are widened to incidents after school, over the weekend, when a gun is brandished, fired, or when a bullet hits school property, that number goes up to 303. Yeah, when a bullet hits school property, I think should actually probably be removed from that because that's we're talking about like stray bullets in gang shootings and other kinds of shit like it the problem is the guns for sure but it's like i feel like that might be kind of an outlying statistic yeah i agree with you that it's an outlying statistic but it's still um the fucking guns a, indicative of the problem that there's so many bullets flying around schools yes stop it stop the guns you shitheads in 2023, the K-12 database, which is called K-12 School Shooting Database, has recorded 89 gun-related incidents at a school just in the past three months. Nearly one for every day this year. And incidents, by definition, include gang shootings, suicides, and gun accidents. So that was a different, different database. For sure, yeah. Um, according to the Gun Violence Archive, there have been 130 mass shootings in the U.S. in 2023. That definition includes four or more people being shot or killed, not including the shooter. So just this past Monday, at the time of this recording, a week after six people, including three children, were killed in Nashville, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a Republican-sponsored bill into law allowing people to carry concealed firearms anywhere in the state without a permit. This is after it was overwhelmingly approved in Florida's state legislature the week before, making Florida the 26th state with a permitless concealed carry law. And the new law goes into effect in July, and it eliminates the requirements for safety training. The the, the frequency of school shooting, uh, the frequency of mass shootings is such that we are worried that the, the, the recent mass shooting that we're talking about won't be relevant by the time we release the episode. Because there are so fucking many of them. Okay, so Clay County Sheriff Michelle Cook defended this legislation in a statement to the news to News for Jacksonville. Her quote, The Constitution protects gun ownership rights and the ability to carry a firearm. Rats. Violent criminals are not applying for a state permit to carry a gun. This is the equivalent of saying people who can't drive aren't getting their driver's licenses, so let's eliminate driver's licenses. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a car is a good guy with a car. Like, I... <sighs> Florida lawmakers can fine local government officials who attempt to restrict gun and ammunition sales under a state law upheld by the state Supreme Court on Thursday, January 19th, 2023. Mm. And according to CNN, the White House is not currently planning a major push around gun safety reform in the wake Why? of the deadly Nashville school shootings. Why would they? Biden and White House officials will continue to urge Congress to act, the White House says. Biden this fucking CNN, shit. This fucking shit of the president of the United States of America going on Twitter and being like, someone should do something about this. Bitch, that someone is you. <laughs> You're the guy that does it's the shit. you. Look at the mirror. <laughs> and and in in his defense, he might not remember that he's president. He might just be calling Barack on the phone and be like, Barack, this gun thing's out of control. I haven't seen you in the office in months. Where are you, dude? Um, so Biden told CNN's MJ Lee, 
I can't do anything except plead with the Congress to act reasonably. I have done the full extent of my executive authority to do on my own anything about guns. The Congress has to act. The majority of the American people think having assault weapons is bizarre. It's a crazy idea. They're against that. And so I think the Congress could be passing an assault weapon ban. So this is this is also kind of like the the weird like the 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 reason that liberals are just the fucking worst which is just like they're like they believe in the institutions so much and they're like well guys we have to play by the rules and congress is like should we just like look at teenagers genitals like make that like a policy and congress is like yes we should yes we should and biden's like well the rules like we gotta just vote right my hands are tough have we not learned anything no, we haven't. And I think, I, I think it's like so obvious at this point that I think it's like not, it's a feature, not a bug. I think, I think the Democratic establishment loves how evil the Republicans are so they can just be marginally less evil and be like, well, what, who are you going to vote for? This fucking crazy guy. And some people are like, yeah, we will. And that's how we got Trump. That's how we're going to get DeSantis. Like all this shit is, is so infuriating. The Democrats are a hundred percent complicit at this point. Like I think they're on the Republican side. Yeah, they're 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 on the take, right? Because they can and if you see like the, the the day after the abortion ban is a prime example, I got like 10 emails from like the Nancy Pelosi bot being like you'll make Trump real angry if you donate to my campaign. They fundraise off of this shit and I've heard some Republican strategists be like, "Well, this abortion thing is kind of like the dog that caught the car. Like we can't fundraise off of it anymore. So what are we going to do?" So there is a vested financial interest in people not changing the problems because they can fundraise off of them, which makes me want to throw up. It's fucking disgusting. So in Biden's defense, if there is a defense, I just I don't want to defend Biden. I just want to make the record clear that Biden has taken more than 20 executive actions on guns since taking office. He's passed the most significant assault weapons ban since 1996 or 1998 or something, which is like most significant is not significant, but he hasn't done nothing. He's done almost nothing. Right. Um, And obviously Congress, where the Republicans control the House, have rejected Biden's and the American people's American people's pleading for an assault weapons ban also during the first two years of biden's term when democrats controlled both chambers of congress we didn't do shit. there was because, no assault weapons ban because functionally Kristen cinema and what what his what his other motherfucker they got a motherfucker from west virginia were like republican plants right they were like they were up they're like psyops in the democratic party um yeah gonna get 60 votes they couldn't get 60 votes. So House Speaker Kevin McCarthy would not answer questions about congressional action being taken on guns after the shooting in Nashville. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise. Scalise. A Republican? Okay. He survived a shooting. He was yeah. shot. Uh-huh. By a Democrat. By, like, some lefty <laughs> with a gun. The only time a lefty had a gun. I know. And used it. Well, but this is this is what's going to happen, right? As soon as lefties start arming themselves, I'm not I'm not advocating for that, but I'm saying that this is the means to the end, right? As soon as the lefties and the people of color start arming themselves, we're going to see an assault weapons ban pretty fucking quick. Yeah, maybe he 
said, I get really angry when I see people try to politicize it for their own personal agenda, especially when we don't even know the facts. Fuck you. We know the facts. And the facts let's are Let's get the you. facts. And fuck let's you. work to see if there's something we can do to help secure schools. We've like talked about things that we can do, and it just seems like on the other side, all they want is to take guns away from law-abiding citizens. Fuck and that's you. not the answer. How is not being shot at school a political thing? <laughs> this reminds me of some random quote that I heard that, you know, when the devil comes, he'll come quoting scripture it's like yeah. these are the people that in in the in the in, in the interest of safety and protecting our kids are ensuring that they are being abused in schools and that their schools are filled with guns and when we're just never going to do anything about them these people they're just so picky and choosy like if it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, well, life's number one, friends. Yeah, it's not, and and but 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 I think that that's like that's like a almost like a naive way of looking at it. Is like they don't care that they're being hypocritical. They don't give a no, shit. And don't. and people on the in the center, at least, pointing out their hypocrisy and being like, "I got you this time." It's not going to fucking do anything. No amount of skewering from John Stewart is going to is going to wake someone up and be like, "You know what? You're right. I I am being a dick." Totally. <laughs> All right, so representatives Justin Jones of Nashville, Justin Pearson of Memphis, Gloria Johnson of Knoxville joined protesters demanding gun control legislation at the state capitol last week to demand that lawmakers pass gun control legislation, bringing a House session to a halt. Yeah. So this video clip went viral. Probably the thing, thing to see was to see high school and middle school, school students here leaving school Kids just and strollers. and strollers standing in the people's house begging this chamber to take their pain seriously, to take their grief and trauma seriously. And instead of that, we rush over so we can't even talk about the issue and just go about business as normal. And I think one thing I want to say too is that um, there are those who are trying to attempt to portray, who attempt to portray us as, as radical. There are those who are trying to say that what we did was radical. What is radical are our colleagues who have made it easier to get a gun in the state than it is to get health care. Our colleagues who, who are so beholden to the NRA who won't even listen to their own constituents because they've listened to this radical group that is so extreme, Tennessee Fire, Firearms Association. That is radical. Inaction is radical. To keep saying that we're going to you know, wait for the next shooting to happen and that our only solution is to put locks on school doors. That is insane. And locks it is on school doors create kill boxes. a body that is so afraid to stand up to a special interest group like the NRA that they won't even listen to the vast majority of Tennesseans who are calling on for common sense gun legislation to ban these militarized guns from our community to have red flag laws like Representative Johnson introduced that they would not even hear. And, and so, you know, what we're seeing is a radical chamber, a radical body who, who refuses to act. And so, as John Lewis said, there comes a time where you have to find a way to get in the way and do something that is out of the ordinary and to get in good trouble. And that was good trouble today because it was about dramatizing the seriousness of this issue that that this has never happened on the Tennessee floor because what is going on here needed something that was serious a serious response to the inaction of this body and that prayers are good but if you continue to pray about an issue that we prayers have the power to good. change in this, in this chamber here then that is cruelty Gloria. it is it is callousness and it is a dereliction of our responsibility as lawmakers Yesterday, in a historic act of unprecedented partisan retaliation, Republicans voted to remove Jones and Pearson from their seats. But not Johnson for some reason. Weird. Why do you think that is? I'm sure that there is a reason that doesn't involve 400 years of institutionalized racism. So who is Gloria? 
I I don't know. She's like a she's like kind of a middle aged white woman, but I don't know anything about her history. Yeah, she's sixty year old white woman, former teacher from Knoxville. Good for her. She's lost a student to gun violence. In Fuck. 2012, she successfully ran for the state house, quote, to give a needed voice for students, teachers, and working families in Tennessee. And she remains an advocate for education and affordable health care. And fun fact, she was endorsed by Senator Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, just f- fucking fighting the ocean in Tennessee. Um, and Jones and Pearson are younger men of color. They're, like, I think around our age or maybe even younger and uh, they, yeah, I don't know, this is fucked. Yeah, okay, so Jones, 27-year-old community organizer, elected to Tennessee's House in November for his first term, and he is one of the state's youngest legislators. He is of black and Filipino descent and received a political science degree from Fisk University, a historically black liberal arts college in Nashville. Jones describes himself as an activist and community organizer who has advocated for the expansion of healthcare in Tennessee, the repeal of restrictive state voter ID laws, and community accountability in cases of police brutality. Jones says he's been arrested over a dozen times for nonviolent protests, including a 62-day sit-in outside of the Tennessee Capitol following the death of George Floyd in 2020. And in an interview with Teen Vogue last year, he called for reparations to be paid to break the, quote, cycle of plantation politics in the U.S. and describe slavery as one of America's original sins. Why would Republicans want to get rid of him? Yeah, he's a he's a troublemaker, and he is what I'm sure more than one of these people in the People's House of Tennessee have referred to as uppity. And Pearson, 29. Is the second coming of fucking John Lewis. He rules this guy. Yeah, yeah. Community organizer, environmental campaigner. He's from Memphis. He was elected in January. It's also interesting to note that like a lot of the conservatives are likening this to January 6th, which they think is also not a big deal for some reason. But they're like, why would students entering the people's house during business hours while it was open exercising their right? How could that be different than someone violently breaking into Democratic senators' offices? How is that not the same thing, guys? Also, this wasn't a big deal. But that is. Nothing these people say makes sense. None. Nonsense. Um, just to like tie a bow on Pearson, he was an environmental campaigner. He founded the Memphis Community Against Pollution Grassroots Group. And he went on to help stop a multi-billion dollar crude oil pipeline from running through Memphis, a project that he said would have impacted local drinking water. Because if there's one thing Republicans hate, it's clean drinking water. There are several things that Republicans hate, and one of them is clean drinking water. Yes. For poor communities, right? Because the the rich will always have access to their facilities, and they just want the poor people to die faster. Um, All right. So Johnson, who, as we said, did not lose her seat, said it's pretty clear why the state's Republicans expelled two black lawmakers while she held her spot. Hmm. I'm a 60-year-old white woman, and they are two young black men. Hmm. Johnson told Business Insider... I knew we were breaking a house rule, and I know there's consequence for breaking a house rule, but the idea that it would be expulsion when the only two expulsions in modern history were people who committed serious crimes is just outrageous. And they're definitely not uh, expelling the, the people that are reliably accused of child molestation or rape. She did bring that up, and she said... <laughs> We have had disruptions bigger than that where no one was even reprimanded. Then she brought up former Representative David Byrd, who was accused by three women of sexually assaulting them when they were teenagers. 
cool. The Associated Press reported in 2020 that Bird apologized to one accuser in a 2020 phone you. call. We good. House legislators helped reelect him for years, despite the accusations. We're good. Quote Johnson. I had a resolution to oust him, and they said, well, we really can't support that because his voters sent him here knowing that. She also called out a lawmaker who was accused of peeing in the seat of another legislator, saying that no one was punished for that. Rock and roll. (laughs) Do you know about this peeing thing? No. No, but it rules. (laughs) So there was this anonymous Twitter account at CHB Mall which referred to the Cordell Hall building. Mm-hmm. And uh, this Twitter account branded itself a source of building gossip for the legislative insiders. Delightful. Back in 2019, according to the Tennessean, quote, those scorned by the account launched an amateur investigation to identify which Republican lawmakers were behind it. <sighs> and after, one of their suspects found himself with a urine-soaked office chair. That fucks. I love that. So these are the people making decisions about your health, your bodies, your livelihood, and your freedom of choice. And and bullets. Bullets entering your body without your consent. So what are we going out on today, Aviv? I don't fucking know. This is... Oh, Jesus. Okay. Uh, so I cannot believe I have to do this, but we're going out on noted sex pest R. Kelly's parody on the noted turf Chappelle shows. Uh, we're going out on piss on you. Yeah. Where can people find us on the internet, Lindsay? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. And for longer and weirder stuff, drop us a line at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. For viewers, for listeners on your podcatcher apps, we, you can catch us on our YouTube channel. We're at Podcasts on Vivo. And for our Podcasts on Vivo listeners, listen to all our back episodes wherever you get Listen to all our back episodes wherever you get your podcasts. I'm very distracted by what is happening on this video. And tune in next week when we are going to do this all over again with a different song that's going to make you think America was a mistake. (laughs) So until then. I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying piss piss on you. you. Drip, drip, drip. (laughs) I want to pee in your food. Only thing to make my life completed when I turn your face to a toilet seat. I want to pee on you. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I'll pee on you. I'll piss on you. Haters wanna hate. Lovers wanna love. I don't even want none of the above. I want to piss on you. Yes, I do. I'll piss on you. I'll pee on you. Won't you break my head? Won't you break my head? Before you start, I'm gonna fall. I'm gonna fall on you.